It's made in South Korea. It's a mix of a lot of things. I think we have we get a lot of influence from Western music, from South America. It's taking over the world. I think it just has a different community. K-pop culture has created such a big fan service and like fan-involved industry that isn't as present in Western music. There's so much more to it than just the song. What would you say makes K-pop K-pop? That's such a good question. And it's quite hard to answer, especially right now, where it is getting a lot more international. But this image-driven genre also has a dark side. Most of the time, it's your 12 hours a day, singing lessons, dancing lessons, no phone, no boyfriends, no friends. You are on a diet that is starving, essentially. You have to be very thin. And you do that for however many years it takes. Kia I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, K-pop. It's the biggest movement you may well have heard nothing about. And one of its big acts, Card, has just played a concert in Auckland which is how I ended up in Auckland's Freiburg Square on a weekday morning amongst the idols and their dancing fans. So I came in for Card, which is the K-pop group that's come into town and was doing a little bit of um, dance stuff around town. So I came in to dance with them and to like say hi and everything. What was that like? Um, amazing. <laughs> um, I've followed Card for years. And so just getting to like dance with them and getting to meet them and they were all, they were all really nice people. Uh, are you from a dance group yourself? Or, yes, uh, I am. What's a dance group? Um, so I'm from NZKDA, which is a Auckland-based um, K-pop dance group. Yeah. yeah. What we love is to be performing artists and to leave them entertained, smiling. Sophie certainly left smiling after her injection of live K-pop. They normally hold concerts whenever they release an album, and albums are released every like three to six months per group, so there's a lot higher production of music, like more often. And then they'll have fan meets where you go and like can give gifts to the idols, or you can say hi, or they'll have high touch where you like go and like give high fives or like hearts and stuff like that. It's just a lot more, I think, fan service and like parasocially based than. Uh, Western musicers, yeah. Back in the office, it turns out that someone who works just a few discs away from the detail is also a fan of the phenomenon. And I should have told her that I was going to meet Cart. I can't believe you didn't tell me you were meeting him. Actually, like, I would have loved to meet Cart. Oh, you should have come along with me. I yeah, would have loved yeah, to. Yeah, I have got to interview yeah. and chat to them. Yeah. Evie oh, Orb is a host of RNZ's podcast, The Tahi. Um, my credentials on this uh, K-pop scenario are I lived in Korea for about three and a half years, speak Korean pretty well, and also really love K-pop. What would you say makes K-pop K-pop? That's such a good question. And it's quite hard to answer, especially right now, where it is getting a lot more international. Like, there's even new groups coming out that are K-pop groups, but there's no Koreans in the group. They're American, British, whatever. They're made by Korean K-pop companies, but they don't feature Korean members. So... I suppose the definition of K-pop, it has to just be that broad thing of its pop that comes out of Korea. Because if you try to get too niche with it, you're just going to get confused, aren't you? Yeah, but there's certainly some differences to it. 
uh, say, compared with the pop bands that you might see come out of English-speaking countries? Of course. It's a lot more glamorous in terms of how, you know, it's what's shiny, how it's presented. There's sort of a lot of boy groups, a lot of girl groups. Of course, there's solo acts as well. But in those boy groups and those girl groups, there are quite specific roles that people fulfil, and they're quite transparent about what those roles are, like... There's even a member often called the visual member who's just the best looking member and their job is to just be really good looking. And then you'll have like your main dancer, sub vocal, main vocal. Like there's there's kind of different roles that people fill that are a little bit specific to K-pop. There's only been a couple of attempts at a co-ed group. So there's Card who do quite well now. They're pretty much the only example of a co-ed group that have done well. There have been some before that hasn't gone as successfully, but actually the company that Carter in were the company that first attempted a co-ed group years ago. Didn't work. Tried it again with these guys. It's gone a lot better, especially globally for them. I'd talked to BM from the group earlier that morning. We're here for a festival, the Kiwi Festival at the Trust Arena. Tell me a bit about, um, you know, for people that don't know K-pop, you know, what's it all about? Uh, K-pop is Korean pop music. It's booming a lot. Lucky for us, because we're a K-pop group. Um, our group name is Card. We are a group of two girls and two boys. Uh, one of the few co-ed groups within K-pop right now. Just a bunch of lucky people doing what we love. What do you say you're lucky? This opportunity doesn't find everybody. And I think uh, all of us individually like to appreciate what we have. And, you know, from our fan base to being able to push the music and narrative that we love. What's the music and narrative that you love? What do you mean by that? It's a mix of a lot of things. I think we we get a lot of influence from Western music, from South America. What we love is to be performing artists and to, you know, leave an influence on our fans and any listener, any any audience, uh, to leave them entertained, smiling, and a little bit of an easier breath of life. We're all pretty quirky, but we're all so charismatic at the same time, so... And we're also co-ed, which is a little bit different from the conservative boy group, girl group. Um, It gives fans opportunities to follow our dances with their guy friends and girlfriends mixed. Yeah, so it's a little bit of fun. Mm -hmm. And um, how would K-pop, I guess, uh, you know, differ from other popular music out there at the moment in in the world? I I just think it's very well produced from... Um, having a mix of genres in the music to the visuals, to the choreography, to the performances, everything is just very, very well produced. Uh, Not to say other genres aren't, but I feel like there's a lot of details that K-pop pays attention to that kind of uh, can set set it aside, which... Like like what? Like the dancing and the... the dancing, yeah. the choreography, how everything is just very matched to the T in detail. Yeah, and tell me about your biggest songs. What are you most proud of? Uh, our biggest songs... Our recent song, Icky, did very, very well. Um, it did ridiculous numbers on social media. And uh, aside from that, our most famous, most played song to date right now is Don't Recall. Yeah. 
How did you get into K-pop yourself? Um, I found it on YouTube randomly one day. Um, I was just scrolling and I started listening to it and I didn't realize it wasn't in English until I had to like Google what the song was and then I was like, oh, it's not in English. It's in Korean, but I still really liked the song, so I got into it through there. And what is it about K-pop that you really like? I like the dance aspect of it. I'm a dancer, avidly. Um, so most of the songs will have dances and I really love learning them and just the culture around that. But also the songs are quite, just they're in a style I just really like. The presentation aspect of it is so much more important than anything else. So an example that I like to use about, like to explain this is someone like Olivia Rodrigo. The way that she's marketed to us is, you know, she wrote those songs about a real thing that happened. You're sold authenticity at all times of this. You're meant to be buying that this artist wrote this about their life and it's real. K-pop is not like that. It's very transparent that this is a machine, that we found this kid when she was young and we trained her up for eight years to be in this group. This year, we're going to do a cute concept. Next year, we're going to do a bad girl concept. It's just more like, here it is. Here's the music video. We spent heaps of money on it. Here's the choreo. They're wearing the craziest, flashiest, newest outfits. There's so much more to it than just the song. Well, you might think, you know, Backstreet Boys or NSYNC, you know, Justin Timberlake, you know, Mickey Mouse Club back in the day, wasn't he? Something like that. I mean, that felt quite manufactured. I mean, what would be the difference, say, from those early 2000s boy-girl bands to K-pop? Not actually a huge amount because K-pop, as we know it, sort of started around the same time in a response to those Western boy bands and girl bands that were blowing up at the time. Um, and it kind of went from there and got its own style, got its own life and sort of carried on. Where in the West, we sort of forgot about boy bands for a little while. We sort of gave up on it a bit. I didn't personally agree with that <laughs> at all, but we didn't have that lull in Korea. It kept going. And I think that's kind of the first steps of where K-pop became really big globally. When there weren't your Backstreet Boys and your NSYNC and there were still these girls like me who were like eight or nine being like, where's the boy bands gone? <laughs> well, they're in Korea, so I'm going to get involved in those. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you got into K-pop quite early on, yeah? Yeah, it was pretty tragic, actually. I mean, like, look, I have to be honest, like, like a lot of people, I got there from J-pop because I was quite into anime and stuff and, like, wasn't the most popular kid around. And that sort of ended up in J-pop with the girl groups and the super over-the-top costumes, which I loved. And then I sort of found myself in K-pop with Big Bang were the the band for me for yeah. a very long time. So where did it all kind of start from, K-pop? It was the mid-90s, yeah? Yeah, sort of mid-late 90s, you started um, seeing groups come out that really reflected what was happening over in the States, like girl groups that looked like kind of acted like TLC. Same sort of look, same sort of sound. Um, and that was sort of the first bit. Those bands sort of came and went. They're still very much revered. But then there's bands like TVXQ who came out and that was, you know, a bunch of dudes, full choreo, super expensive videos, Girls' Generation coming out with G, super cutesy. There's like nine of them. They're all gorgeous. They've all got matching jeans on. Like super catchy, cutesy song. And it just blew up. Like blew up. And then I think it just kind of kept going, man. And where would you say it is now? It's huge. It's the biggest it's ever been. 
And even when it was huge and people kind of didn't realise how huge it was because, you know, at first K-pop, outside of Korea, the first place it really blew up was Japan and other Asian countries, like Southeast Asia especially, Thailand especially, massive over there, China at different times depending on political relations, huge there too. And so even maybe 10 years ago where you didn't know much about K-pop, these people are superstars they're absolute superstars, but they weren't kind of in that mainstream of Western music. Whereas now, like Blackpink and BTS are 100% in the middle of Western mainstream music. Well, yeah, BTS is like the best-selling band in the world, or one of them anyway. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, they're yeah, huge. they are. BTS tops both the Billboard 200 and the Hot 100. Who are the big bands out there at the moment, the big stars of K-pop? Oh my God, well, thank you for asking. Um... <laughs> Globally, definitely BTS. The K-pop band did not only play a role in shaping the country's perception and taking Korean contemporary culture global, but it is also a major contributor to South Korea's economy. The band's popularity has led to higher sales of Korean goods and services. BTS generates $5 billion of revenue annually through their album sales, concert tickets, and social media. And they're a special case through and through of how K-pop was traditionally done and how it's done now. They came from a smaller company, which is quite uncommon for a band to get that big. But they were the first group who wrote their own music, had their own kind of perspective. That that authenticity piece I was talking about before, about that marketing authenticity. Kind of like the Beatles in a way. Well, yeah, K-pop Beatles. <laughs> they were the first group to do that, to be like, let's market these guys as authentically as possible, rather than presenting them as sort of part of the machine. And they were really directing their communication with fans, like they're online talking to their fans in the early days. And no one else had done that before because there has to be the separation between the fan and the idol for the fan to believe that the idol is also her boyfriend. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like all of that. BTS broke all of those rules and it worked. And now you're seeing a lot of groups kind of follow suit, trying to be more authentic, trying to be more real, mm. you know? Who else? Like Blackpink? Blackpink, yeah. still huge. However you feel comfortable, like... I'm ready for love, I'm ready for love. I'm ready for love. I'm ready for love. There you go. Our next guests are the best charting Korean girl group of all time. K-pop sensations. K-pop has become a worldwide cultural phenomenon. We grew into something that we didn't even know was possible. I think what makes K-pop K-pop is the time that we spend as a trainee. I was 14, such a kid. We all lived together, sort of like a boarding school, like a training version. I had never even imagined myself living apart from my family. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Blackpink has a few Kiwi connections. Rose, full name Roseanne Park, was born in Auckland and is a New Zealand citizen. Jenny Kim was born in Seoul but came to New Zealand when she was eight. The only thing I could say when I went to New Zealand was hi. My name is Jenny. The scary part is I adjusted to my lifestyle there within the six months. I was just so happy to be around nature and have a different educational life from than I had back in Korea. Jenny's been a controversial group member, and Blackpink is in the midst of lengthy contract negotiations. It's looking like the group is at the end of its natural life. So most bands are signed for seven years. That's the standard contract time for an idol in a group. 
a lot of people, they call it seven-year curse, that a lot of bands don't actually make it past that seven-year contract. It's oh. only really, really big ones that, that tend to. What about the language? Because I was listening to some K-pop. I can't say I listen to K-pop every day, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I was listening to a lot of K-pop this morning, you know, and a lot of it, most of it's in Korean, but there's an odd English word here and there. Is that pretty normal, yeah? Yeah, it's... It kind of goes in and out of trend to have a lot of English in your songs. Sometimes, you know, they'll go through periods where people don't want that and it's way more Korean. But there are songs that come out that are 80% in English with just maybe a Korean hook or a couple of words thrown in. At the moment, it seems to be the trend to have what I would describe as a bilingual song, which is you're straight up 50-50 English and Korean which is quite interesting. So how big would you say it is in New Zealand? I mean, is it a mainstream thing or are we behind? It is a mainstream thing, yeah. When I, even when I was in high school, which was, you know, very recently, um, <laughs> <laughs> even when I was in high school, you know, there was, there was a group of girls who loved K-pop, you know, super about it. These days, like Gen Z, the youngins, if you will, it's been big their whole lives. It's been bigger their whole lives. Yeah. So they're sort of a little bit more close to it. And then Blackpink, I mean... A lot of people don't even consider them K-pop because they're just so popular. Do they get played on, like, the Edge Zenny? Yep. Tahi, yep. do you play it on Tahi? Yeah, but that's because of me. <laughs> <laughs> and what draws people to it? Why do you think people are drawn to K-pop so much? I mean, why do you like stuff? Um, like... <laughs> well, I'm, I'm personally, I'm, I'm more that authenticity kind of thing. I kind of look for that, you know, but I can't get past a catchy Gangnam style or something, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although Gangnam style's a bit old now. Yeah, Gangnam style's old. I, I've always found it funny that that song went so viral because what the song is about is real specific to, like, Gangnam, and yeah. it's, like, making fun of like hung dudes and it's like the whole world is singing along to the dance, they they don't know? yeah they don't even know the words but they're just making fun of one brand of man in Korea, which is quite funny. Well, I mean, the thing is, for you know people like me, you dance along to the verse, and then when the chorus comes in, you go, hey, 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 <laughs> hey off the Gangnam style. Well, yeah, um, I think K-pop, I think the reason people like K-pop is a lot of different reasons. I mean, one is the theatricality of it. I mean, you don't see a lot of Western music these days picking a, like, oh, our concept is vampire and we're all going to dress up as hot vampires and do a cool dance in an abandoned prison about, like, how I love you but I'm a vampire. It's fully choreographed and everyone's insanely good looking. Like, what's not to like? So like, it reminds me of like the Backstreet Boys, you know, Backstreet's Back. Backstreet's when, Back. Yeah, oh, where right. they did that video. Uh, yeah, know? I was watching yeah. that the other night. <laughs> yeah, that's where, I mean, you could, it's quite easy for me to trace it back, right? Like yeah. I loved NSYNC and I loved the Backstreet Boys and then it just kept going, really. But you don't see that anymore in Western, you know. No, everyone's taking themselves too seriously in Western music. That's the problem is like we have had the, usually like a, a genre rotation of what's the most popular genre sort of refreshes every seven years. But we've actually been with the same hip-hop, R&B and rap being the predominant genres for almost 15 years. And so people at some point who aren't into that are going to look for something new, something more fun, something more interesting. I think K-pop is so glitzy and beautiful and fun and then it also allows itself to be so much more experimental with pop music and what pop music can be. Like, hey, well, come on, remember "Bye Bye Bye" by Insync? Yeah, they danced. Know? They well, had choreo. A long time ago. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> what was One Direction's dance moves? Oh, there were none. They didn't do any. <laughs> and like, they just wore jeans. Boring. Give me more. Give me some makeup. Give me some hair. Give me some color. Give me some pizzazz. You've lived in Seoul. Is it pretty ubiquitous? It's pretty much everywhere. K-pop. Yeah, it's part of everything. I mean, even beyond like. 
you you know, you go to the store to buy a little drinky. There's a K-pop idol on every single little drink. Every chicken store is endorsed by a little K-pop idol. Like, it's everywhere, and it's very just part of what pop culture is if you live in Korea. South Korea is known as being a pretty hyper-competitive place uh, where you kind of have to conform to get on, you know. So how does K-pop fit into that? K-pop fits into it in a lot of different ways. One of those ways is obviously there's really high beauty standards in Korea and people really care about those beauty standards. And I want to be clear, I don't think that that is a overall bad thing. I think it gets twisted into something it's not quite a lot by people that have never been there. It's seen over there as good manners to present yourself well. And you are more likely to get a better job if you are more attractive. So I'm not judging anyone for going to get anything that they've got done or feeling either way. I don't think it's as sort of dark-sided as a lot of people act like it is. But K-pop idols present that current definition of what beauty is because they are their best-looking people. I mean, it's the base requirement to be an idol is be ridiculously good-looking. It is a super competitive society, and, you know, you look at these idols, and they're beautiful, they've got the best outfits on there and all the ads, you're assuming they're making money, and you as sort of a random person are like, hmm, if they mess up, I mean, they should be grateful for the job they have, and online behaviour over there is is very intense. It is very frightening how dark things get online mm-hmm. in South Korea. And so an idol does something you don't like or something that you don't think is becoming of an idol, you're like, well, you won. You already won. You're famous and beautiful and you have all this money. There's not a lot of empathy for them. Mm-hmm. And anything that they do wrong, people tear them apart. There are concerns about the dark side of the K-pop industry and its influence on youth. These concerns range from mental health issues to harsh diets some of the band's members had to go through in order to appear handsome and skinny. So does K-pop, do you think it helps keep up that conformity and competition or does it help creativity flourish? I think it's both. Mm -hmm. I think that you can't really look at something that big and say like it's objectively doing one thing or objectively not doing another thing, right? Like I think that what it provides, I mean these men, right, in Korea, two years-ish military service, girl groups are huge with them because they're positive and they're cute. They make them feel happy and it's like when I get out of here, I'm going to find me a girl like that, you know? Mm. And so there's a lot of positives with that of how perfect it all is, but then, yeah, it is a representation of some pretty other dark and kind of evil stuff too, especially how they're trained. And Well, how are they trained? How do you, how do you pick to be a K-pop star when you're so young? Well, it happens in a few different ways. Auditions are one of them. Um, and then other times they just see you walking down the street. There's quite a famous story about a super famous K-pop guy in EXO who was just walking down the street and they saw him and they were like, wow, that guy's super attractive. It's and like they being... chased him down and were like, you want to be a K-pop idol, you want to be a K-pop idol, trained for a few years. But the training process, I mean, for not this is not specific to everyone. Like, some companies are a bit more chill about it. But most of the time, it's your 12 hours a day, singing lessons, dancing lessons, no phone, no boyfriends, no friends. You are on a diet that is starving, essentially. You have to be very thin. And you do that for however many years it takes to debut in the group. it's We're not talking it like a couple months. And parents are usually quite happy with that, are they? Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, at the end of the day, your kid could be rich and famous and an idol. And, and that's a highly prized thing in South Korea. Yeah, and also they'd be able to look after you with the money that they make from being a celebrity. And that's mm. an important part of the culture as well, is that you will look after your parents. The way they pick stars almost sounds like Squid Game when you've got that guy coming around with the car. And you yeah, know, man, yeah, it's, yeah. But, man, that's why Squid Game... 
game is so good. I love Such Squid Game. Such a good game. commentary on Korea. Well, that's... Oh, my God. That's it for today on Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Card, their superfans, and Evie Orr. Ma Tewa. Ha 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 ha!